Welcome to the Bob Siegel Show podcast on the Cross Global Media Radio Network. Visit cgmradio.com slash bob to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Well, hold on to your seats. We have a former Mormon with us today in the studio, incarnate, but he did not grow up as a Mormon. He was actually raised Catholic. Currently, he describes himself as an evangelical Christian. Jason Seekman is a native of San Diego. He has been in law enforcement for 20 years, and I want to tell you up front, he made no deal with me to fix my traffic tickets in exchange for coming on the air. So I just yes, I will vouch for want that. to be very clear that that never happened never happened. He spent over 10 of these years as a detective and is currently assigned as a detective sergeant at a local agency here in San Diego. Jason became a Mormon when he turned 19. He served a two-year mission for the Mormons in southern Mexico and later became a leader at the local Mormon church where he and his family attended. But as mentioned, Jason left the Mormon church. Currently, he serves on the local board of administration at Skyline Church and he is taking graduate studies at Liberty University where working on a Master of Divinity degree in Biblical Studies. Jason has a family and describes his wife, Pamela, his words, describes his wife, Pamela, as insanely patient. (laughs) They just celebrated their 25th wedding anniversary. They've been blessed with four amazing children. Jason Seekman, welcome to our program. Thank you for having me, Bob. Well, it's good to have you here. I'm going to start with the obvious question. Unlike a lot of people in the Mormon Church, you were not raised a Mormon, so what brought you into the Mormon church, something was very attractive to you, especially when you were comparing it with some of the religious experiences you were already growing up with. And then later on, what became unattractive? What caused you to leave? Yeah, so I remember originally, I was pretty lost. I was about high school age, 17, 18 years old, and I had absolutely no idea what I was doing (laughs) with regard to religion. I had never read the Bible. I had no relationship with Jesus to know of at that point. And I just had some friends at the high school who were just really good people. They were very, I don't know, there was something different about them. They behaved differently. They didn't cuss. They they didn't drink. They didn't do all the things that I had kind of been learned from my culture that we were supposed to do (laughs) when you were that age. And I liked it. I wanted to learn more about it. I eventually asked them what made them different. And that's when they introduced me to the Mormon church. I actually got the discussions from the missionaries. They call them the discussions. They're these lessons that they teach you. And it really was through those lessons that I, they were very basic lessons about Jesus Christ, accept Jesus as your savior and believe in the Bible. The Bible is the holy word of God. And, and all these things made sense to me. Well, um, and at that point, that wouldn't have sounded much different than what a Christian would say to you, because they're just, it's, we believe in accepting Jesus too. So at, at that point, it doesn't look that much different from other religions, does it? No, no. And and since I wasn't familiar with other religions, I wouldn't have even known that. To me, it just seemed like it was a, this was just a standard belief that most churches believe. But they did, when I look back in retrospect, they introduced some things that well, I- Well, they climatic. talk about the Book of Mormon yeah. as if that's the only difference. Although, interestingly enough, in time, you learn that there's differences way beyond the Book of Mormon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, I, when I look back at it, the problem that was there was the fact that we had this belief in the Bible, we had this belief in Jesus Christ, we had this belief in God, none of these other kind of crazy beliefs that we've been talking about. The only thing they really introduce is they happen to mention, hey, by the way, there's this Book of Mormon, and it's it's a book, and uh, it's just like the Bible, and it's the Word of God, and if you uh, like the Bible, you're going to love this book too. It's like a sequel to the Bible, a companion to the Bible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In retrospect, when I look back at everything that we did and why I believed what I believed, I really acknowledge 
now that I really did accept Jesus Christ. I really was in my heart wanting to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The problem was that very early on in the process, they managed to equate the Book of Mormon with these good feelings that I had, right? And actually, this is kind of the way they would do it, is they would they, they introduce Jesus, they introduce the Bible, they introduce these things that really do stir the Spirit in you. I mean, any any Christian who's accepted Christ will have to acknowledge that when you first hear about Christ and you come to accept Him, it's very exhilarating. But the problem is, is they introduce this Book of Mormon, and almost immediately you start equating the two. They manage to tie the two psychologically together. So me, being 18, 19 years old, not knowing anything from anything, I'm starting to equate the Book of Mormon with the Bible, with Jesus Christ, and all of these things are packaged together. And that was very sincere on your part. It was very sincere, These people, they weren't out partying like everybody else. They were friendly. They were like a family to you. Yeah, and and all the teachings were accept Jesus Christ, be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Read your Bible, obey God, go to church. I mean, it's all these things. That all sounds great. So, But the game is this, is they, they would say, okay, well, what you need to do now is you need to pray to know whether this Book of Mormon is true. And, and this is a key point, and is that... This is what they call the burning in the bosom. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. So you pray to know if the Book of Mormon is true. And I did pray to know if the Book of Mormon is true. I, I, I was very sincere in my prayer. And I felt that I got an answer. And to this day, I look back, and, I'm, and I realize that wasn't an authentic answer, but I still ask myself, well, why was that? Why was this not an authentic answer? Was, it, was I just duped back then? But I realize now that really what was happening was, you know, the Holy Spirit was testifying. He was testifying to all of the things I'd learned about Jesus. He's testifying to the divine devotion I wanted to give to him, but they had psychologically kind of thrown the Book of Mormon in there as like an afterthought. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, here's this Book of Mormon along with this other great stuff. And so when you have this great feeling in your heart, it's really hard to tell what that great feeling is in response to. Is it in response to the Book of Mormon being true? Is it in response to me accepting Jesus Christ? Is it in response to me having a bunch of friends at a church who accept me and welcome me? And by the way, there's nothing nefarious about that, right? I mean, if there's any Christian church out there that doesn't have a congregation that welcomes and makes their new members feel welcome, I think they would be, shame on them, right? Well, and many churches don't make their members feel welcome. And even though they may believe more accurate theology, you could actually be sympathetic and understand why somebody would leave a church like that and say, well, here's people that are friendly and they're more communal and they're more family-like. So it's very understandable. Yeah, absolutely. And so for me, that was kind of the hook. Okay. So when you say like what really made me join the church, it was that good feeling, but I couldn't differentiate the source of the feeling. I just assumed it was all because of a big package deal. And then they do a lot of other sophistry in with it, right? They basically say, okay, well, now that you've accepted the Book of Mormon as the Word of God, therefore, you must now believe that Joseph Smith is a true prophet because he's the one that translated this book and a true prophet couldn't translate a false book. So now you're kind of now you're painted into a corner, right? You think to yourself, okay, so yes, this I guess I prayed the the spirit told me this book of Mormon is true. So therefore, I guess yeah, Joseph Smith must be a prophet. And then they tell you, okay, well if you believe Joseph Smith is a prophet, then therefore you have to believe that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the true church. And the lineage of prophets that come after yes, him, yeah. Brigham Young and the others, they're prophets. Too. Well, that's a thing. And so it's it's a step-by-step process. So then you say, okay, well, all right, I'm going to accept the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints as the true church because I I've already accepted Joseph Smith as a true prophet and I've already accepted the Book of Mormon as a true book. And then once you've accepted the church as the true church, 
Now you get everything that comes along with it. And so the difficulty I had with that is, and again, it kind of goes back to what you were saying when you were describing a cult, uh, proper scrutiny, I think is the word you use. Proper right? scrutiny to not be in a cult. Yeah, yeah, yeah to yeah, not be in a the... cult will not want you to scrutinize. They'll discourage yeah. that. Yeah. And that was one of the challenges for me is because when I look back at it, I felt like I was doing proper scrutiny. You know, I mean, it seems like it's a very subjective term. Because at that time, I actually, I was Catholic, so I had done research into the Catholic Church. I had looked into the Mormon Church. I'd looked into the critics of the Mormon Church. And, and I was really trying to scrutinize, like, why do people have a problem with this? And I did, I would hear people say, well, they're calling it a cult. But I didn't see any of the signs of a cult Right, because of those other definitions we talked yeah. about, they didn't seem all whacked out. They weren't up in the wilderness doing weird things. No. So, of course, they didn't look no, like no, a there, cult. There's no, at this point, I don't know anything about this idea of God having been a man at one time and us becoming... Oh, no, know, they don't introduce... <laughs> they do. They that. do not, not early. Oh, not early on. They introduce the idea that God wants us to grow up to become like Him. That's why we call Him Heavenly Father. Sure, but that doesn't seem that strange. Again, sometimes those things sound good, and it's well, what does it actually mean? And, and that comes out later. And the only thing is, in retrospect, is looking back at the temple because they don't say anything about the temple. You don't know anything about what goes on in the temple. And as a matter of fact, even when you go to the temple and you've been to the temple, you don't even talk to other people about what goes on in the temple. Now, that should have been a red flag for me. You know, they'd get away with that temple a little more if they didn't make it look so gothic. I look at that thing in San Diego. Yeah, yeah. I just look at the way that's shaped, and I'm thinking there's some guy in the dungeon playing the organ going, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, it's... It's just that gothic architect. Of course, that's just a reaction, too. That doesn't really mean anything. Yeah, but. no, well, it, you know, even for me, like when I, because I've been to that temple, I was, my wife and I were actually married in, in the La Jolla Temple. I remember you telling yeah. me that. That's very interesting. Yeah. And to be honest with you, both my wife and I, we didn't talk about it at the time, but we found the ceremony strange. We were weirded out by them. Are there things about the ceremony that you're free to share with us? I mean, like, yeah, I don't, I don't have a, I don't it. have a, I mean, you know, I, I only, I only caution myself in sharing them because I don't want to offend any Mormon listeners out there, but I myself don't have any problem sharing them because the reality is, is for me, it, it doesn't mean anything anymore. Right. But at the time it was, it was very significant. It was very important to me. But the one thing I want to bring up, at least at this point, is that my wife and I, we both were weirded out by certain components of this ceremony. It didn't feel right to us. And we only knew about it years later when we stopped going and we were able to talk to each other about it. Because remember, you don't talk about what goes on to the temple, even with your own spouse outside of the temple ceremony. So we both were at the same time uncomfortable with the ceremony itself and yet unable to tell each other that we felt that way. So well, that was, shows the authoritative structure right there that you're not even feeling free to talk to your new spouse about what you just went through. That shows the grip that they have. So yes. Again, sincere as your but following it, you, you was. Know, again, you know, with proper scrutiny, I didn't view it as a grip because everybody was super nice. I mean, yeah. to this day, I think so many Mormons out there are such an example to all other Christians with their, their sense of service and love. The volunteerism, you know, like when my wife and I started going to Skyline Church, we love Skyline Church, and we are heavily involved in volunteering. I think a lot of that we inherited from the teachings that we had in the Mormon Church, where we really taught that, that you are a member of this church, but you are also a serving member of, of Christ's body. And so it was just, it was well, just a natural expectation Yeah, for us. and you were there sincerely. So these yeah. people you were following, they were probably there sincerely too. Somebody could be sincerely mistaken, but yeah. they may have meant, well, fortunately on Judgment Day, God looks at our hearts and our motives. He doesn't give us a theology exam. Yeah. And so just for those of you that are listening, whether you're Mormon, whether you're not Mormon, yes, we're saying that the Mormon church teaches incorrect.
correct things. No, we're not saying that if somebody goes to the Mormon church, that automatically means they're not saved. Yeah. We'd just like you to have as full of an understanding of the Bible as you possibly can. Yeah, and, and I agree with that because, you know, as I thought about this in the past, because the, the next part of your question was what brought me out. Yeah. Right. So, so that's, I think that's a key point to bring up. So I felt like I had a proper relationship with Jesus in the church and everybody I was friends with was members of the church. And so I was totally embedded in the church. And then I remember one of the things we used to do in the church is we would do a thing called home teaching where you would go and you would visit other members of the church and you would give them teachings and, and things like this and kind of check up on them, which I thought was a really good thing, right? I mean, you're staying connected with all the other members and fellowshipping and really almost kind of like a small groups kind of thing. Anyway, there was this one gentleman who had stopped going to the Mormon church. And I remember I was visiting with him and I'd kind of made him a project because I really wanted to get him back into the Mormon church. I, I, he wasn't had not been attending, hadn't gone for a long time. Was he just as eager to get you out of the Mormon church? No, he wasn't. He, wasn't. he was just... It he, just wasn't for him anymore. It wasn't for him, him anymore. And he opened the door for me and he'd let me come in and we'd have all kinds of discussions. But I remember at one point, you know, I said, you know, I can't remember his name, but I said, hey, why don't you go anymore? Why? And he said that he had problems with some of the things that Brigham Young said, particularly with regard to blacks and the priesthood. That was a big, big issue a number of years ago. And they've since walked a lot of that back, but that was a huge issue. Yeah, yeah. And so you might look at it and think like, well, you should have known better. That's that's a very racist thing to not allow blacks to hold the priesthood. But remember, I'm equating everything in this church with Jesus Christ. Remember, so I am desperately trying to hold on to my faith in Jesus Christ because what a typical Christian looks at as like just coming in and saying, hey, let me just tell you the Mormon, the Book of Mormon is bunk and the temple's bunk and you need to leave the Mormon church. Well, for me, from my perspective, you might as well tell me that Jesus Christ doesn't even exist and there is no God because these things are synonymous. And, and that's, You didn't know how to surgically I didn't know how to surgically them. separate them. They, they were so intertwined with each sure, other. Sure, sure. And so, so I was desperately scared that if I started buying into some of these falsehoods that I was going to lose my relationship with Jesus. And that wasn't a threat that the church did. It was just a natural result of intertwining the Book of Mormon with my Christian faith. But he presented some arguments and he said, you know, Brigham Young said some really bad things. You should look them up. And so I did. I dug deep and I, I did what I call a reverse Lee Strobel, right? You know, Lee Strobel <laughs> trying to prove Christianity is false and then ends up proving it's true, right? So you tried to prove Mormonism true and ended up proving it was false. Yeah, what I did was I started digging in into uh, primary resources, uh, things like the Journal of Discourses, things like church history, into actual addresses that Brigham Young gave to a lot of the people. And some of the things I read were just absolutely, I mean, they were just, they, they blew my mind because they were absolutely so negative and miserable. And I, you know, I mean, just things like talking about how blacks are inferior and they're the race of Cain and they will never hold the priesthood or else there will no longer be a priesthood. And well, uh, and in the bigoted, 1800s when Brigham Young lived you could say that and you wouldn't get that many raised eyebrows exactly except, except for the fact that these are prophets of God right oh so, obviously so, so I'm just saying with, that if they were false prophets yeah. which they obviously were at that time in those cultures you could see why they could get away with that stuff. yeah and it doesn't and, stand today's scrutiny. Well, well the thing is too is if he was just a pastor and claimed to be a pastor and was teaching some racist things I would think contextually we might give him a little bit of leeway Way. But when you're talking about a prophet who's literally predicting that if blacks ever get the priesthood, that the priesthood no longer exists. Well, guess what? Lo and behold, in the 1970s, well, the blacks God, get the priesthood. Yeah. So so I'm not saying that that was a bad move to allow African-Americans to have the well, priesthood. Well, of course they should have done 
that, but it does show that what he said originally was not really a prophecy of God. Exactly. And so now this is Brigham Young, who is the second biggest prophet in the Mormon belief system, has now given an inconsistency, right? He said something that didn't come to pass that actually is ended up being false, and I could not reconcile that in my mind. And and I and that hurt a lot because I didn't want to read that. I didn't want to believe that. And so but that kind of started me down a path where I started doing other research and I started looking for archaeological evidence to support the Book of Mormon. And they claim there's a lot. They claim there's a lot, but every bit of it that I looked at, it was really it was very, very stretch. It was it was stretching a lot. Especially now, you know, being involved in law enforcement and, you know, having to constantly look at evidence and you're witness. looking at things through the eyes of a detective. Yeah, right? yeah. At this point I was a little more I, I had a little more skill with regard to like trying to weed out logical fallacies and as a detective I had come across enough cases to where I had seen things that I thought were true initially and then as I dug deeper I came across evidence and I realized that my initial assumption was wrong and so I really started learning the value of witness testimony validating witness testimonies validating documents and so really sort of the culmination of my skills as a detective combined with all of this research I was doing was making it more and more difficult for me to withstand this urge I had that maybe everything I believed was wrong. And it was very disheartening, but at some point I just, I I learned enough stuff. And again, I only gave you like a smattering of the things that I had looked into, but basically between that and the temple ceremonies and the things that were going on there and the research I'd done into Joseph Smith, all the women that he married who were already still married to other men or underage and things like this were too much for me. And then, so then at some point I said, you know what? I still believe in God. I just don't believe in Joseph Smith as a valid prophet anymore. And so I did. I left the Mormon church. But the problem was, and again, I mentioned this earlier, is that because I ripped away my belief in the Mormon church, it also damaged my belief in God. Sure, because you're tempted now to throw the whole thing out the window. Yeah, and, and I did. I tried I tried like crazy to find another church to go to, and, and I couldn't. I couldn't reconcile it in my head. And I would say that for maybe a good 10 years, I was pretty much an agnostic, if not almost an atheist. I really struggled because all of the things that I believed before were now false to me, and so I didn't know what to believe anymore. And that's one of the biggest problems I see with the Mormon church is whether you want to call it a cult or not, I don't personally condone calling it a cult. The only reason why is because it doesn't really make sense to people in the church. They don't see it as a cult. There's too many subjective terms in there for them to grasp their mind around it. I don't think it's necessarily helpful. I think the more important thing is to help Mormons to identify those aspects of their faith that are valid. You know, things like faith in Jesus Christ, things like the validity of the Bible, and then help them see the things that aren't valid. So things like the Book of Mormon, things like the temple ceremonies, which really rely on, I mean, really the temple ceremonies for all intents and purposes, relegate salvation to learning secret handshakes and secret passwords, right? Even Brigham Young at one point I found through my research had said that we have to go to the temple repeatedly so we can memorize the secret passwords and the secret it's handshakes. It's somewhat reminiscent of Freemasonry. It, well, it's, I mean, it's, it's, all, it's all taken out of the Freemasonry handbook, absolutely. And Joseph Smith was a Freemason, so that was where he had gotten it from. But the point is, is that it wasn't, the temple ceremony basically put Jesus's sacrifice on the side and said, you could get into heaven by learning these secret handshakes and secret passwords. Now, they all have a relationship. The passwords and the handshakes all are symbols and relate back to Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. So it isn't like it's a completely made up, like everything has to do with the cross and whatnot. So you could make a, a veiled argument that, yeah, it still does point you towards a belief in Jesus' sacrifice. But still, the bottom line is, is you got to memorize these passwords and these handshakes it's or you ain't going to get in. the sacrifice plus yeah. a list of all the kinds of other things. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't see it that way. Again, 
in the temple. It's just all I knew was everybody who I ever loved was at this temple. They agreed with the ceremony. They all talked about how wonderful it was. I had no idea that anybody else felt like it was weird like I did until, like I said, until I got out and I talked to people who had been and, and had similar experiences. It's like the emperor's new clothes. Nobody wanted to say anything. They assumed everyone else was okay with it. Yeah. And, and I do believe that there are a lot of people who are very okay with it. I'm not trying to insult their belief in the, the, the temple ceremony. It's just that to me, it's so inconsistent with the scriptures, especially now that I'm studying the Bible and really digging into into the Bible itself. It's so inconsistent. The Book of Mormon is such an outlier now. The Book of Mormon only really made sense when you relate it to the Bible if you've really never read the Bible. You know what I mean? Like well, it's, and I've read the Book of Mormon. A lot of the Book of Mormon's pulled right out of the Bible. There's whole chapters from Isaiah, Jesus' entire Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that, and that's funny that you mentioned that because I even remember like there's a part in the Bible where Joseph Smith basically pulls it right out of the King James version. Right? That's what he's using as well, his in source those days, material. These and those sounded holier. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think there's even what is it? I believe it's Isaiah two sixteen, where in the King James version it translates the word as pictures, but the real word that every other translation acknowledges is ships or boats, right? So the passage in Isaiah 2.16 is clearly talking about boats, but there was this mistranslation, I think, from Erasmus when he translated the Old Testament in Greek, and he translated, mistranslated the word boats to read pictures. And that made its way into the King James Version. And so even to this day, if you look at the King James Version, that Isaiah 2.16 has this word pictures in there, where every other translation has the word boats. And it's funny because when you look in the Book of Mormon, I believe it's Second Nephi 2.16, it has the same exact passage and it says pictures in it, the same incorrect translation that you get from the King James Version. And it really appears to read consistent with the Bible. If you don't really know the Bible and understand the Bible passages, I could probably read some passages out of the Book of Mormon and passages out of the Bible, and there's a lot of people who probably wouldn't be able to tell which is which. The other thing that's interesting is the Book of Mormon, even though it claims to be God's revelation to the Western Hemisphere, South America, it talks about lost tribes of Israel that crossed the Atlantic Ocean and all of that. The actual theological teaching in the Book of Mormon is nowhere in the same stratosphere as Pearl of Grace, Price, Doctrine and Covenants, Discourses, some of those other things that you've mentioned. So it's interesting, they make a big issue out of the Book of Mormon, but some of the most egregious teachings are in their other books. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, even you mentioned the Pearl of Great Price, which, you know, was based on these papyri that Joseph Smith uh, had managed to purchase. And it was actually legitimate papyri that was found with several buried uh, mummies, I think. I think there were like four mummies and two papyri that were found in the early 1800s and they somehow Joseph Smith got a hold of them and had translated these papyri and basically said that they were the story of Abraham and the story of Joseph when he was in Egypt but they've actually found the papyri that he used to translate it, one of them still exists, and Egyptologists have translated it, and it has nothing to do with Abraham or Joseph. Uh, the papyri is actually from the Book of the Dead, it's or or I think they call it the Book of Breathings, which is it is a funerary. How would he have gotten a hold of that here in America anyway? Did he get it from some museum? No, the something? guy went around selling it. I mean, that oh, happened. that's right. He yeah. dealt with he dealt with artifacts before yeah. he be started the Mormon Church. Yeah, yeah. There was, uh, I mean, you know, a guy would go around with. Uh, it actually happened back then. I mean, I. 
want to say like there were parts of the Bible that we even have today, legitimate parts that were like sold in newspapers. You know, I mean, they just did things like that back then. So, but this guy would go around with these papyri. There's a lot of significant evidence that says that this papyri that we have now is the same one that he translated from. And it's totally, it's totally different. And again, I mean, that goes to proper scrutiny. If, if a person were to properly research that, they would discover that that would be, that would be a strong indicator that he's not a true prophet because he's obviously making that up. Yeah. Unfortunately, most people will not do even the amount of research you did before you joined the Mormon church, let alone the vast amount you did that got you out of it. Most people will not take the time to do that. People tend to believe what they want to believe, and they tend to believe what they're told. And we talk about people being friendly, and that's great. And yes, Mormons are very friendly people, but somebody being friendly doesn't necessarily mean that everything they believe is true. But it seems that way. They're so friendly, they're so nice, that they must have the truth. That doesn't always follow. Well, and that's the thing is, is you know, when you look at like logical fallacies, right? I think one of the ones that they used is one that they refer to as appeal to emotion. Right. That's that whole idea that if you pray about it and you feel good and it feels right, then it must be true. And uh, but we know in Jeremiah, right, it teaches us that the heart is deceitful, deceitful above all things absolutely. and sick and who can understand it. Right. And so and when uh, Jesus talked about the fruits of the spirit, that's what I always hear. Well, we're so friendly. We have the fruits of the spirit. Being friendly was one of the fruits, but there were a lot of other fruits, including the word faithfulness, which meant yeah. faithfulness to the truth. Mm-hmm. And that included faithfulness to God and God's correct doctrine. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I've also wrestled with as well, because when I look back, if somebody asks me, when was I first saved? I do believe it was when I first received the message of Jesus Christ from those missionaries. And then, but then people automatically say, okay, well, are you saying that the Mormon church saved you? And I would say, well, no, you know, it was, it was the relationship. It you wasn't mean the that religion. God saved you despite the Mormon church because God was honoring where you were at. And with all the stuff they were teaching you, God saw in you a genuine seeking heart. I believe that. I mean, you know, people can counter that and people could call in and say that, you know, that's ridiculous. But, but in my heart, and, and when I, everything I know now about Christianity, and believe me, I've, I've been studying quite a bit. I mean, I stay up pretty late studying and I feel like I genuinely accepted Jesus at that moment. And I feel that a lot of Mormons have genuinely accepted Jesus in that way, but that doesn't take away the danger of the nature of the Mormon church, the LDS church, because like I said, I think one of the biggest problems with it is not just the fact that it's a cult. Again, I'm not Saying it's a cult, I'm saying that if that's the argument you, you want to make, like I don't that think that's the word, biggest. But you're agreeing that it's something. Yeah, false. although although I do believe when you talk about the temple, I think that I think that is cultic, right? I mean, that's <laughs> the temple is definitely a cultic aspect. But a lot of members have not even been a member of the cult, you know, and their daily practice doesn't involve the temple. So if you tell them that their religion is a cult, they're probably not going to automatically associate well, with the temple. Well, and again, there's different definitions yeah. of cults, and we're trying to be careful with our definition. If, if we're defining it as people whacked out in yeah. the wilderness somewhere, no, we're not defining them as that kind of cult. But even more than that, what I think the biggest danger is, again, I kind of alluded to this earlier, is that, well, if Jesus is your salvation, let's say, for example, Jesus is your salvation and you associate Jesus with this boat, okay? And you're on this boat on the water and you've got Jesus and the boat and Jesus to you are the same thing, right? Well, if someone comes along and punches holes in the boat, let's say the boat is the false teachings of the Mormon church, right? Someone comes along and punches holes in this boat, the boat's going to sink. And if you are equating that boat with Jesus and a relationship with Jesus, then your faith in Jesus is going to sink as well. And that's what happened to me. He can't sink because he can walk on water. So he's yes. not going to sink with the boat. Could, he could, but I'm, I'm, I guess I'm analogizing my own, <laughs> my own belief. Because like I said, once, once I took away my belief in the Mormon church, I really, I lost my faith in God at that moment. 
you know, I struggled, struggled with it. And I eventually found it again. I had to find it independent. I had to find it. I had some spiritual experiences after my mom died. I had come across some research and apologists like you, okay, or others like Lee Strobel and people like uh, J. Warner Wallace and Stephen C. Meyer. I mean, these are these are people who are scientists and people who are apologists who, who were able to show me that faith and, you know, you can have a logical foundation to your faith that doesn't just rely on you it's not blind it's based on actual facts yeah and and i and i had no concept of that until later on and i had to really look for it and it's really only by the grace of god i mean i i could tell you right now i don't deserve to be here i don't deserve any of the awesome things i have i am very 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 well aware of that everything i have right now is simply because god found me he yanked me out of the water and he showed me that jesus is not tied to that boat anymore that jesus is real and he's a living god but i had to it was a struggle to come back to that. And it's only by God's grace that I got there. Yeah. And the other thing, Jason, is what you learned in the Mormon church was progressive. Other than talking about the Book of Mormon being for the Western Hemisphere, the Jesus that they talked about probably sounded very familiar to you. And they were talking about a Jesus who forgives sins, died for your sins, was God. Now, as time went on, it was like, well, yeah, he was God. He was one of millions of gods and you can become a God. But that wasn't the way you understood Jesus when they were first talking to you. And Jesus himself, before he even went to the cross, before anybody in the audience listening to him even knew he was going to die for anybody's sin, he told this parable about a man that beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he says, that man becomes justified. Now, we know as Christians with our 2020 hindsight, well, the reason that man in the parable or any man would become justified is Jesus paid for his sins on the cross. But he said that to an audience that did not yet understand that he was going to die for their sins, rise from the dead, didn't understand any of the theology that Paul develops in the book of Romans, but he was given the bottom line. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul talks about, well, there are different kinds of judgments the Bible talks about. He talks about the judgment of Christians, where everybody's saved because they've accepted Christ, but certain works in a way get burnt up, probably due to bad discipleship or bad theology. He says, but the person himself will be saved, so is by fire. He's not talking about the Mormon church specifically there, but I think Paul's casting a wide net that certainly includes the Mormon church and other kinds of pseudo-religious experiences that people can have where they were in a place where they were getting not very good teaching and they weren't growing and weren't being fruitful for the kingdom of God. But bottom line, brass tacks boiled down to, they were people that understood they were sinners, that they needed Jesus as their savior. And it sounds like you understood at least that when you became a Mormon. So it looks like your relationship with Jesus, I can't look in your heart, but from what you're saying, it sounds like your relationship with Jesus was genuine because despite all that other mud, that much came through and that shows the mercy of God. God could work in our lives despite bad theology. Theology is important. You study theology. Theology is important to me. Fortunately, God looks at the heart and goes beyond theology. Yeah, amen. You know, and see, when I was young, I was so infatuated with Jesus and I wanted to serve him so much that I went on this mission, right? Where I lived in Southern Mexico for two years, which was no picnic, right? I mean, Southern Mes- Yucatan is, is, is pretty hot. There was no air conditioning. Did we you at least get some good chips and salsa there? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. And a lot of other stuff too. I got all kinds of stomach <laughs> infections and things like that. And I said, I, uh, I, I, uh, hurricanes, things like that were, were down there too. But 
it was sincere. Whenever I prayed every night, I was praying to Jesus. I was not praying to Mormon. I was not praying to Joseph Smith. I was not praying to Moroni. My understanding of Jesus was flawed because of the theology, but my relationship but and my desire to know him. came after you mm-hmm. decided to give your life to him. And I think part of the reason why, and again, I don't mean to sound wishy-washy on this issue because I know that there tends to be Mormons who say, this is only the true church and this is it. And then there's, you know, there's Christians who say all Mormons are going to hell and this is all, this is just all a big mess. I feel like I only have a moderating position because I'm still struggling with the fact that God brought me out and I don't know why. Like I see other family members who are much smarter than I am. All of my brother-in-laws are much smarter than I am. They are much better people than I am. I am kind of a mess a little bit. And so I think like, well, why would God bring me out and not them? And that's a struggle because all I can think of is God's grace. Brings me back to God's grace. Well, I appreciate your humility and your honesty to say that. One thing that comforts me is you look at these Bible heroes and Bible characters. They were all a mess. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Peter denied Christ. Abraham lied about whether Sarah was really his wife to get out of a jail. They did all kinds of strange stuff, and God still worked with them. So God says, my ways are not your ways, neither are my thoughts your thoughts. When he selected David to be king, David's father was bringing out the older boys, the taller boys, and God says, no, I don't look at things the way the world does. So it makes perfect sense to me that even though, and of course your brothers may think you're the better one and the smarter one from their vantage point, but I appreciate your humility, but it does not surprise me that God says, no, it's the people that are seeking me, the people that are people after my own heart. They're the ones I want. And it's a different standard than what the world uses. Yeah, no, amen. That's absolutely right. Makes sense. Jason, what a delight to have you on our program. We'll have you on again to talk about other things. I understand you're going to be retiring as a police officer sometime in the near future? Yeah, I've still got a little ways, but yeah, that is that is on the list of things to do. <laughs> well, sometime when you're not a police officer anymore, you can come back and tell us all about what it was like being a police officer without having to report to work the next Everybody morning. Everybody <laughs> loves crazy cop stories. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll save a bunch for you. All right. We'll see you next time, everybody. In the meantime, this is Bob Siegel making the obvious obvious. Bob Siegel Show podcast is a production of Bob Siegel and Cross Global Media. Visit us online and subscribe to the show at cgmradio.com slash bob.